Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome in to the Week 10 preview of the NFL for the 4-3 show. I'm your host, Ryan Blank. I'm alongside Parker Don and Dominic Stern. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been a slow day, slow Veterans Day. Didn't have any class, which is a nice change of pace, but ready to talk some sports. And here we go. Dom, great segue into it. Let's start off with college football. ASU played last week. Pac-12's back. What did you guys see from ASU and their heartbreaking loss last week that gives you optimism for the rest of the season? There's a lot of talent at the skill positions is what I noticed. Jack Jones looks like a freak of nature over at the cornerback position. And the running backs uh, look really good. Rashad White and uh, – Forget the other one, the Diamante Chip Trainum. Yeah, Trainum. Yes, Trainum. Uh, they they both looked really good, and going up against a very good defense, just a really well rounded USC team, they performed very well. Jaden Daniels didn't look great, but I'm not too concerned about him. Uh, the, he was playing without Frank Darby and a bunch of really young wide receivers with little experience going up against one of the best secondaries in the Pac-12. So. Not too much of concern there. Uh, and the defense uh, struggled a bit in the first half, but the defensive line really stepped up in the second half. Uh, and that, that was a weakness of the team for sure last year. They looked pretty solid in the second half. And then ASU had a 13-point lead, and they, they blew it. And it was really unlucky, to be completely honest. The, the tip pass on the fourth down and 11, there was an offside, so USC was going to get another play. But you never know what happens there. And then after that, they had the onside kick that they – it was failed execution on for sure. And then the fourth and nine pass that was just perfectly executed by Keaton Slovis into a tight window. And then at that point, Arizona State lost. It was a tough way to start the season, but they looked really good, and that's really promising for the future. Yeah, ASU looked very good all the way up until the final last five minutes, really, of that game where USC was able to rally off back-to-back scores, of course, getting that onside. Like you mentioned, it, it took a lot to to get away a with a win if you're USC. So I think that ASU did look very good, like you mentioned. And something that stood out to me uh, was those running backs. Trainum especially, he looks like a workhorse. It looks like he's going to be able to carry a huge load for ASU in the run game, which is going to be big because you lose a guy like Brandon Ayuk as far as big targets that can be relied upon by Jaden Daniels. So getting that run game going, picking that up is going to be huge because that's going to open up the passing game. Uh, but the biggest thing, like you also sort of mentioned, Dom, was the D-line. They got after the quarterback. They were able to get to Keaton Slovis. And when they weren't sacking him, they were at least getting pressures. They are up in his face. And it was a consistent pass rush, which was huge because if you look back to last season, that was arguably – one of their biggest weaknesses, I'd say that was, in my opinion, because they just could not get to the quarterback. And even when they would have a good pass rush, they would never find a way to wrap up and lock down the play. So it's huge to see that. And I think we'll expect to see a lot of that with the much improved secondary. The secondary, it's going to be one of the better secondaries in the nation. So they're going to be able to lock down the wide receivers, and that's going to give them time to get there. And I think that that's going to allow them to play complementary football. So I expect this better from Jay Daniels especially as he builds chemistry with some of his younger receivers. And I expect this to be a very competitive football team going forward. Yeah, I was actually pretty impressed. I thought that where Jaden got most of his performance was really on the ground. Ran for over 110 yards. 
So he looked really – he looked solid running the ball. I was impressed with Ellie Bunkley-Shelton. They got him involved early. He looked pretty good. What I wanted to see more was despite some, a couple of drops, I really wanted them to go towards Johnny Wilson a little bit more, especially when they were inside the red zone because he's a matchup nightmare. Yeah, he didn't look good, and I know because just by looking at Dom's face, he disagrees. But I think once he develops more, I think he's going to be really good and a great weapon in the red zone because of his six-foot frame, six-foot-seven frame. But Merlin Robinson has had a good game. The defense, I was actually pretty impressed with. A lot of guys went down with cramps throughout the game. So a lot of guys got injured, and a lot of them had to momentarily come off the field. But overall, that secondary, I'm still a huge fan of with Jack Jones, Chase Lucas, Evan Fields, and Ashari Crosswell. I'm very, very high on the secondary. But overall, I think that ASU has a solid running back duo right now. Rashad White had a good game. Chip Trainum had a great game. And each one of them made their impact in a different way. Chip made his main impact on the ground, running the ball. And then you saw Rashad White make his impact through the air. So I was really impressed with how Zach Hill was using the running backs, and I thought it worked really well. So I think that ASU is in a good spot. Yeah, you don't want to lose like that, but I think throughout the game, they have a ton of talent, a ton of potential. This week, first home game against Cal. It's under some potential cancellation due to it's not it's not happening the entire defensive line is in current quarantine for cal there's no way this game happens now with that being said i i would look forward to this game because uh last year's game was a very good one uh without chase garbers playing in the second half because he got injured against asu uh no weaver this time for cal but i i i can't see this game happening yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, and this shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, when you look at all the other games that are going to be postponed, pushed back, realign the schedules, this is something that they're just going to have to deal with. It's one thing if one guy gets it and you try and self-isolate and quarantine and come to the conclusion that everyone else is fine, uh, but this is one of those scenarios where it doesn't look likely that they're going to play a game on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And I know that Cal's head coach extremely upset about the whole situation, but I don't think the game's going to happen, which sucks because Pac-12 only has six games this year. So yeah. whatever game that you're missing out on, it's not going to get made up. They're just going to call it a no contest. And I think that sucks because of the players they want to play and they're losing out on games very early when their season should be really halfway through if we weren't inside this pandemic. But continuing with coronavirus and, the, and its impact, we have some – Big games postponed this week. The SEC by itself has four, including number one, Alabama. Number three, Ohio State, who's in the back, in the Big Ten, but that's another game postponed, along with number five, Texas A&M. What do you guys think about the postponements, and is college football trending in the wrong direction? Yes, I said this before we came back out of school. That playing a college sport – uh, in the middle of the pandemic, was not going to go smoothly, and it had. It actually got off to a pretty solid start, better than I expected. But it's not just the fact that the college players, you know, could be going out and breaking rule violations. It's the fact that they live on campus, in apartment complexes, in dorms with other students that don't follow their protocols. They bring in the virus from somewhere else, and you're just you're just walking down the hall or something. You know, just one mistake where 
you know, hey, you forget your mask or something like that, you get the you get the virus, and all of a sudden, just like that, poof. Uh, I don't want to use your season's done, but it changes just like that. It it, it was never going to be easy. They've done a good job to this point, but uh, especially after Halloween, uh, I know here at Arizona State, uh, things have kind of spiraled out of control a little bit, uh, especially towards cases. Uh, when parties were thrown, uh, bigger parties than, than we had been seeing. Uh, so it's not too big of a surprise to see that now, uh, after the fact, that uh, some of these games are starting to become in jeopardy. Yeah, this comes as no surprise. There's really not much more for me to add to this, to be quite honest with you. Dom pretty much summed it up. This was something that we expected. This is a difficult situation, and we're seeing it with every league, not just collegiate level, but with also the NFL. There's been games that have been postponed. They have to scramble on the fly and change schedules, take away teams' buys, and this is just one of those situations where this is it just comes with the territory more than anything. Uh, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before certain games were going to come across this. It's difficult to uh, avoid this situation when you don't have a bubble, when you have all these different players on these college campuses that are at risk of getting it from anyone at any moment. And it's just something that it's difficult. But at the end of the day, uh, they knew what they were getting themselves into, and they're just trying to make the most of it. Yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head with it. The SEC leads any conference, has the most in COVID-19 cancellations, and the four that they have this week put them at seven. So I think that the inability – not inability, but, yeah, inability to be able to put players in a bubble I think hurts because, like Dom said, <clears throat> excuse me, they're living in apartment complexes around other people, and I think that has an effect. So – the amount of cancellations suck. It, they do. And I think that in the end, college football has got to make an adjustment at some point. And I don't know what they're going to have to do, but they're going to have to do something before more games and more are postponed. And a, the season could end up getting cut short. So do you guys have anything else you want to add on college football? Uh, Yeah, actually, I mean, the Clemson-Notre Dame game was an all-time. That was a very good football game. That's what we expected. Uh, so that was nice to see, but storming the field, because, I mean, if we're going to stay on the topic as far as, you know, like the pandemic, that's not the situation you want. If you're Notre Dame, having your players out there exposed from all the thousands of fans who are in attendance, uh, that's, of course, something that caught my attention. But, I mean, it was a very good game. Uh, that's just one of the situations in our current circumstances where if you're Notre Dame football, that's not what you want to see. Obviously, in a normal situation, you want to celebrate a huge win like that, because that was huge, but... You don't want to go down like that uh, with the times we're in right now. Yeah, and one thing about that is I feel like the fans, when they go to a sporting event in this capacity, and I could say this because I, I have been to a sporting event uh, over the past couple of months, is that if you go, you wear your mask, you know what type of risk you're putting yourself in. You know that there at, at some point you could contract the virus because you're going into a public place, and that's the risk you use as you suppose by being in the stands with that being said, them going on the field is not a big issue. However, the players are there and the players are trying to play without getting the virus. They test, they quarantine, they stay away from you. So when you run onto the field, all of a sudden you're putting them at the risk. That's the biggest problem with this. You know, the fans are already there. 
the fan could already catch COVID. Like that, that's exactly, that's yeah. that's the thing about it, is that now they're putting the players at risk. And then another thing, everyone is, you know, like saying, like, how could you storm the field? I'm gonna be realistic here. If I was a Notre Dame student and my team just knocked off the number one team in the nation, what am I going to do? I don't want to storm that field. <laughs> I'm storming the field. So, like, obviously they're in the wrong. I, I'm not saying they're in the right. I'm not trying to justify what they did. I'm just saying that if I if this if the campus allowed me in and my team won the number one game and they didn't say anything about it uh, prior and they no, no security tried to stop me, guess what I'm doing? I'm on that field. That's just the reality of it. That's the reality of college sports, and that's the risk you oppose and you bring upon yourself when you allow fans to come into your games to try and make money. So yeah. th- there's multiple aspects to it. Uh, it. The biggest issue was the fact that the players were on the field and then the fans stormed the field. If they said, hold off for two minutes, we're going to get these players, you know, hand- coaches handshake, and then they're going to go to their locker rooms, and then you can come celebrate on the field if you want. That's fine because they didn't force you to go onto the field. Everyone made that choice. So there, there's multiple aspects to this. It, it's a situation that could have been avoided if no fans were allowed at the game. But Notre Dame wanted fans at their game, so uh, they knew that if they won, fans could have stormed the field, and that's what happened. Yep. Throw back to ASU yeah. v. Oregon. <laughs> if you know, you know. Hey, that was, that was insane. That was a terrific game. But now looking at <clears throat> the whole situation with Notre Dame, I think people have to be smarter than that. But at the same time, it goes on both sides. College football, the NCAA can take fault, but so do the fans. The fans have got to know better because you would get a couple positive cases on that football team. Their next game is canceled at least. So you got to think ahead. You have to make sure that you're not putting your favorite team or your school's team in jeopardy by storming that field. So I think that's where fans have got to be very much accountable for. But same with the NCAA. They're allowing fans, they're allowing schools to decide if they want to have fans. And there's negative effects to that. There is. And when you don't have the proper precautions ready for something like that to potentially stop fans from going onto the field or protecting the players, you got to take account for that as well. So it's really a double-edged sword that both sides have to take some accountability for. But let's move on and let's go into the NBA. Today we had some big news. The Oklahoma City Thunder have found their next head coach and they have hired Mike Dagnolt, who is a 35-year-old who will be replacing Billy Donovan, who was fired at the end of the season and is now the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. What do you guys know about him? And what do you guys think about the hire? I'll let Parker go first because I assume he knows more than yeah. I do. It's a hire where I think that this can be a more common trend in the NBA that we're seeing recently. Uh, I think the teams are seeing the success in these G League coaches who've had success within certain organizations. In this case, he was the G League coach with the OKC Blues. Uh, so they're familiar with him. He's worked his way up through the system with that organization. Uh, so seeing them hire him doesn't surprise me. Uh, he had been there for five years where he had uh, above 500 winning percentage. He was a successful head coach for that team. And I think it's kind of filling the criteria of Nurse. You know, you see what he did in Toronto. Uh, Nick Nurse has done great things. He was a great G League coach. And they saw the promise in a guy like that. And sure enough, this is another situation where you're replacing a very good head coach in Billy Donovan, what he was able to do for OKC. 
with a guy that you're familiar with and you know what kind of staff that he's going to want around him. You know how he's going to get along with other personalities, both on the team and in his coaching staff. Uh, so I, I like the move. Um, other than that, there's not too much uh, as far as like head coaching experience at the NBA level. Uh, so that's always a toss up. You don't know what you're going to get in that aspect. Uh, but I definitely think that this is a common trend in the NBA and we're going to see more guys who are making their way up through the G League system to eventually get more, uh, not necessarily head coaching opportunities here and there, but at least coaching opportunities at the highest level with the NBA. Um, do you have anything? Yeah, for me, I, I actually really like this hire because especially you saw a uh, pretty young and dynamic team in Oklahoma City this year, with, with the exception of Chris Paul. Uh, young is not the adjective I would use to describe Chris Paul, who we'll talk about in a minute here. And so you're seeing another young head coach, and is it is it's Dagnold? Is that how we pronounce it? That's how I pronounced it, but I don't really know. So yeah, I mean, I just had I just had never heard this guy's name pronounced before, but I I think that hiring from within the system works. And like Parker compared the Nick Nurse hire. That's something I I had jotted down here. Uh, I think. I agree. You'll see more teams go in this direction as well, but you can see them trying to build around the young core with Shaquille Alexander, Lou Dort, and uh, what, what? What's his name? Ethan's favorite player, uh, Dennis. Dennis Schroeder. 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 I can't believe I left him off. Uh, really good score. Uh, underrated player. So I I like this hire. I think this has a ton of potential for. For OKC, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I really like this hire. I think because I think a big strength for him will be the youth that he brings. Because on the roster last year, the Thunder had two guys above the age of thirty: Danilo Gallinari and Chris Paul. Gallinari's a free agent, and we'll get to Chris Paul and his situation in a minute. So there's a ton of youth on that team where I think Dagnall can really work with and establish a solid team. But you saw some young guys build a case for them to be big pieces of this team. Shai Gilgis-Alexander averaged 19 points per game, roughly six rebounds, and just over three assists. Lou Dort, former ASU player, emerged as a starter throughout the season and was guarding James Harden in the playoffs. So there's a lot of youth on that team, and I think that if the Thunder were to keep on to Chris Paul, I think he would be a great – guy to have to translate chemistry and be that veteran for the team. But overall, I think this is a good hire. You saw him have success in his five years with the Oklahoma City G League team. He had a 572 winning percentage, winning three division titles, and making the playoffs four times. So there's success there at the G League level, and I think that this is a good hire for them. But Dom, you originally mentioned Chris Paul, and reports came out yesterday. Could Chris Paul – be coming to the Valley and be in a Phoenix Suns uniform next year? I mean, I don't know. I He's a guy that still has value. I think he had a very good season with OKC. I liked what he was able to do with that young core. And he's one of the few examples of a court general left in the league. He knows his role. Uh, he's one of the best passers that we've seen in our generation. And he just knows how to bring guys together. Sure, his personality can be a bit much at times. And th they don't necessarily mesh with other guys. We saw that with James Harden, uh, who's another guy that can also have one of those personalities that kind of clash. So 
give him a little bit of slack there. But at the end of the day, he's a very good basketball player. And uh, he's one of the better point guards that we've seen before. So I think that he does have some value. This season was big for him. Uh, he made a big case as to what he's going to bring to the table. But at the end of the day, he's going to be making north of $41 million this season. And where the cap's going to go uh, down as opposed to going up because of the loss of revenue from COVID, I just think that this isn't a situation that you necessarily are looking to do if you're the Suns. Uh, you've got a lot of young talent, and you're heading in the right direction. We saw what they did in the bubble. Of course, that is in the bubble. We want to see what they can do in a real situation and see what this team can bring to the table with guys like Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, Kelly Oubre. Uh, they're a team that definitely finished the year uh, trending in the right direction in a way that I wouldn't have expected for them to go. Aiden was very impressive. I just don't know if inserting Chris Paul is going to necessarily continue that trend upwards. I think that he's a guy that's going to make a lot of money. have to move around some contracts to make that viable unless you're willing to um, try and go up into the category of which you're going to go towards that luxury tax. And I don't think the Suns are really a team that are looking to do that. Uh, they're not very competitive at the moment. Uh, you can't be a prisoner of the moment if you're looking back to the bubble last season. So ultimately, I don't think it's going to happen, but I definitely think it's an interesting rumor nonetheless. It's one that caught my attention. Yeah, and the interesting thing is they do have Ricky Rubio under contract for the next two years. And I'm not going to sit here and compare Ricky Rubio to Chris Paul, even though Rubio had one of the better seasons of his career uh, last year with a member of the Suns. It would be interesting because they are committed to Rubio for around $35 million over the next two years. Chris Paul is getting paid a lot more than that. He's a better player, so rightfully so. But I don't, I'm not sure if it's in their best interest. Uh, and I, I'm not Monty Williams. I'm not sure how I'd want to use Chris Paul. Uh, there's a little more things that you could do with Chris Paul that you might not be able to do with Rubio. So it might give them some more versatility. But in terms of upgrading from Ricky Rubio to Chris Paul, giving up draft capital, I'm assuming, or other talent, and then also being more financially committed to Chris Paul, I'm not sure it's in their best interest. Yeah, I agree with both of you because the cap is going to go down and Chris Paul is making $85.5 million over the next two years that are left on his deal. So there's motivation for the Thunder to trade him, but I don't think going to the Suns is the best idea because they're still paying Ricky Rubio $17 million per year as he signed a three-year $51 million contract. So Rubio's not a cheap player he's he's getting paid 17 million a year it's not as high as a lot of the other point guards in the league in the league but there's still a lot of money invested in him and you saw what he did for them last year the suns looked a lot better having him on the court the way he facilitates the ball and spreads the floor is really a good fit for the suns but looking at potential salary cap implications the suns could have an excess of $20 million in salary cap space going into the transaction season that the NBA is talking about once they figure out the whole deal with the off season and for next season. But so there's that room there to make a trade for him and still even have a little bit of money for other free agents. But at the same time, it just doesn't make sense to bring in Chris Paul, who you'll have to pay over $41 million and then have another point guard. You are paying $17 million a year. So right there, you're paying, roughly $60 million per se $60 million next season 
for two point guards if you trade for him. So it doesn't make sense. But also there's a connection there because in 2010 to 2011, Chris Paul played for Monty Williams in New Orleans. So there's that connection there. And I think that could be a good fit for Monty Williams to have someone who's been with him and understands him more. But overall, I just don't think it's the best fit for the Suns. Moving on to another point guard who could be traded this offseason, Russell Westbrook, who was traded to the Houston Rockets last offseason from the Thunder, says he wants out of Houston. What do you guys think about this? And if you guys could, who are a couple potential suitors? Uh, as far as Russell Westbrook, uh, for him, supposedly the rumors are indicating that he's not had the accountability in Houston. And, I mean, if I'm him, obviously I, I can't even remotely get similar to the mind, mindset of being in that locker room around those guys, around the organization to get an idea for how he's feeling. But just from what I've been able to see as a fan perspective, you see a team consistently very good and consistently a big threat in the West, but not finding a way to get to the promised land and compete for a championship in the NBA finals. So as a guy that has been there, I'm sure that he is looking to try and get back. And this is a team where he didn't feel like he was capable of doing that with. There's of course some change with D'Antoni. There's just a team that's not built the right way. I think that they've just completely thrown everything to the side and really forced small ball in a way that the game's not intended to be played. And I, I think if you're Russell Westbrook, it's understandable to want to get out and try and find a new spot, try to start over. As for locations, I mean, there are teams that are interested in point guards. There's teams that are going to be interested in Russell Westbrook's talents because although his efficiency is very low, although he's not going to shoot at a higher rate, especially in today's game where you have to be able to have a three-point shot uh, to be as successful as you possibly can be and to maximize your potential in this game, he's a guy that brings a lot of value. Uh, he's a walking triple-double. The guy puts up numbers, uh, you know, stat probably a little bit here and there. Uh, but he's a guy that's going to be able to give you numbers on a consistent nightly basis. So I think that there's teams that are interested. As for teams that kind of pop into my mind, uh, it's hard to really have an idea for that because, again, so much goes into this with his contract. You have to factor that in. You have to factor in the assets the teams have in order to acquire him. Uh, so it's hard for me to really give you a, a destination, a choice, because although I can think of teams at the top of my head that are point guard needy, or at least in need of a dominant ball hander like himself, uh, it's hard because you have to factor in so much. So I can't really give you a team, but it does not surprise me that he wants out. I think that it's becoming a common thing that James Harden and the Houston Rockets are not exactly um, the easiest of places to play at, even though they are consistently playing at a relatively high level. Yeah, I, I agree with what Parker said. and I, I'm also not entirely sure where he could end up going. But Russell Westbrook, love him or hate him, the dude scores, he gets assists, he gets rebounds. Is it in the most traditional way? Absolutely not. But I think that's part of what makes him special, what makes him uh, one of the more entertaining players in the NBA. I saw someone say that the only reason someone should acquire him is if they want to fill seats. And I, I agree with that to a point, but at the same time, you also want that that ball handler, he's also going to turn the ball over several times throughout the year. I, like I said, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what team he could end up going to, but uh, wherever he goes, he's going to make some sort of an impact. I'd like to think it's going to be positive, but uh, another thing is all he does is win. He He's a winner. He makes the playoffs every year. Uh, even when he had absolutely carry that team, 
in Oklahoma City. That was just garbage uh, the year he won the MVP. And so you, you'd be getting a winner. You'd be getting a guy that's going to give you 100%. Sometimes it's going to not be great, but it'll be 100% effort. Uh, so we'll see where he ends up going. I think he draws a decent draft capital too. Yeah. Russell Westbrook, he's one of the most athletic players in the league, and I firmly believe that. He's a triple-double machine. Yeah, you can claim stat padding, all that, but at the, but he's still a terrific player. He has the ability to make an impact in every level of the game besides shooting. He's not the best shooter, but he's terrific driving to the basket. He's a terrific facilitator. And he, he's aggressive, and I think that's what a lot of teams should want in a point guard. And I think that the experiment with him in Houston, it didn't go too well. He was hurt a lot of the season. So I think that it's in their best interest to trade him. I know that, Dom, you said to some team trades him trades for him to fill seats. Do you really want to trade for Russell Westbrook, who has three years and over $132 million left on his contract just to fill seats? That's no, just what I, yeah, exactly. No, but I also think that he he does draw so he does draw a bit. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure like drawing free agency to him, but I mean if you're a team, I'm trying to think you know a team that does really have a good point guard. I mean, who's San Antonio? San Antonio would never do that. Never mind. Uh, I mean, th- there's got to be some team that needs a point guard out there. I have a few teams, and I think the first one you got to look at is the Knicks. The Knicks have been chasing for a star for years. You heard everything about last offseason. They're getting Kyrie, KD, and Zion. Got zero of them. This could be their chance to make a trade and get Russell Westbrook. But at the same time, they have R.J. Barrett, who they use the third overall pick on. Like they, He can play the two. He played the two at Duke. Yeah, that is true. So I don't think there's an issue there. Another team that I could really see looking at him is the Heat. Yeah, they've got Kendrick Nunn in a young core, but if they want to load up and go for that title, they add a guy like Russell Westbrook. That would be really, I think, beneficial for them, especially because they don't have a ton of money invested in players. Yeah, they have the big contract for Jimmy Butler, but everything else, their players are not under expensive contracts. So I think that the Knicks are going to want him because they've been chasing that star for the past few years. And that could be their guy in Russell Westbrook. The Heat could look to load up and get a terrific player to complement Jimmy Butler even more. And then, of course, there's the powerhouses of the Clippers and Lakers who are reportedly interested. I don't think they'll be able to do it with cap restrictions, but they're in there as well. So those are my guys there. So do you guys have anything else you want to talk about for the NBA or any other comments about anything we've talked about? Nope, NBA draft's getting close, but we'll mention that before that occurs, uh, so we'll save that for next week. Yep, next week we'll do a whole NBA draft segment preparing for next week's draft. So let's turn into the NFL. Week 9, we had some very good games and one very shocking game. But before we get into our Week 9 thoughts, should we be worried about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? No. Now, I mean, no. am I – Am I less high on them going into the game? It was funny because uh, I had someone over watching football with me on Saturday, and I said I'd be shocked if this team doesn't win the NFC. And then, of course, they they got absolutely crushed by the Saints, who hadn't had a good win since week one. So 
a little more concerned about them uh, after that game, but uh, at the same time, their, their offensive game plan going into that game was just awful. Uh, Ronald Jones only had three carries, and Leonard Fournette had one carry. So you're not going to win a lot of football games when you rush the ball only four times. Now, they kind of handcuffed themselves after the first couple of drives, but they basically forced themselves to pass now that they were behind. But uh, if they get back to running the ball, it's going to open up the passing lanes for Tom Brady because they have so many weapons on offense now uh, with the addition of Antonio Brown. The, I think they might want to sit Chris Godwin this week dealing with a, a broken finger, just not in their best interest to keep him out there when he's got a splint on. Not a big fan of that. But I, I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. Yeah, I think they definitely are too. I mean, sure, when you look at a performance like that, that's hard to watch. It could alter your viewpoint on them and how high you are on that team, especially when you're trying to look at a playoff picture early on uh, around the midway point of the season. But I don't know. I mean, they definitely looked rough. Uh, the Saints were able to get Michael Thomas and Miles Sanders back, that receiving core that went a long way, and they got lit up. It was a really bad performance, and that's a game where now they've lost both their games in that divisional matchup with the Saints. That's not good for them going forward. But this is a team where they've got an abundance of weapons, and that is why that Chris Godwin decision is strange. I mean, you bring in Antonio Brown, you have Mike Evans, and you have other guys that can go out there and make plays. Uh, you mentioned the running backs, why they didn't get carries, I don't know. Of course, this is a passing league that we're in, but you have to play complementary football because if you don't run the ball, that makes you predictable. Defenses can settle back, linebackers can drop into coverage, and it just makes you being successful in the air game a lot more difficult. Uh, so if you're not willing to do that, that's just going to be a recipe for disaster. So this is a team that did not look very good out there. They were outplayed and outcoached. Uh, just about every level of the game. They only scored those three points in garbage time near the end of the game. It's a bad look for them, uh, but this is a very talented team on both sides of the ball, so I expect them to have a big bounce back this week and just going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, you guys touched on the offense that struggled immensely. Tom Brady did not look good, and honestly, they didn't run the ball enough, and I think that hurt them even though they were down. But I, I got to look at that defense. What makes that Bucks defense so good is their ability to get pressure and to get to the quarterback, and that's why their front seven is so dominant. you got to give a ton of credit to that Saints offensive line. That offensive line was honestly insane. They did not let them get to him, and it led to them being exposed in the back half of the defense. Devin White got burned, and he got exposed by Jared Cook multiple times. The secondary did not look good. So I think you might have a way to figure out this Bucks defense if you can stop them from getting pressure. Because going into the season, you guys know how critical I was of their secondary, knowing they don't have anybody who's played more than two years in the league starting. So I think that you're now seeing that come into play because they got exposed. But I think the other thing for the offense was whenever Tom Brady was feeling pressure – he just looked extremely uncomfortable. He, whenever he sensed pressure, he yeah, would. That's nothing new. Like that. Right. That's been. Yeah. That's been Tom Brady's career. That's been Tom Brady, but I hadn't seen it this bad, like like that this year. And right, it's something that you got to worry about. Is that offensive line? Is it strong enough to hold for Tom Brady, who's a 
terrific pocket passer. So right, and let's continue. Continue. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And part of the reason the offensive line didn't look as good this week was because this was their first game without Ollie Marpet, who's been their best offensive lineman on the year. And yeah. they were, I believe, the only offensive line going into the week uh, that had started every single player, uh, every single game, all five offensive linemen in the same position. So that was a bit of a change. I don't. I mean, obviously, that's not the reason why they lost, but that could certainly be part of the reason why the defense of the Saints was able to put so much pressure on him. Uh, Tom Brady is good at avoiding sacks. The problem is that uh, it severely hinders his ability to throw the football. Yeah. And I, and I know that Marpe was not available to play. He was hurt, but at the same time, uh, one guy on your offensive line does not make the entire difference. I know he's our best offensive lineman, but at the same time, they're going to have to find a way to keep that offensive line strong enough for Tom Brady. And I'll say it. This was another one of my worries for him going into the season. Cause he always had a solid offensive line, in new England. Well, but this has been one of the best offensive lines in the league going into this game. Yes. And I think a big thing is Tristan Worfs has been very good. He's been very yeah. You got body bagged by Khalil Mack, but but he's other than being body bagged by Khalil Mack, he's been really good for them. So they need to get that offensive line to sustain their level of play. And then they got to make sure they're getting pressure on the quarterback. Otherwise that defense could be in trouble. Yeah, and another thing one more thing about this team is yeah, they're cool. yet to they're yet to have their bye on the season so far. And you really watch the Saints just be more physical with them. And that really took a toll on the defense, uh, especially. I, and once again, I, I you may say I'm making excuses, but I mean that's just what I saw when I was watching the game. The no, Saints were the more physical, the more physical football team. Uh, once the after the Buccaneers play uh, the Panthers this week, I want to say, uh, I think it's the Panthers. Uh, they'll have their bye, and I think that'll help them out a lot. Yeah, I think a bye is really going to help the Buccaneers because they've been playing. Nine weeks straight, it's going to be 10 weeks straight. So I think it's going to really help them. But let's get into week nine. Any other games that stood out to you or any performances? Yeah, Tim, for me, I mean, it, it was, I guess, uh, both. But the performance from Russell Wilson has to be the one for me. Uh, it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. I picked the Bills in this game. That's a very talented defense that they have there in Buffalo, and it's a huge reason for their success. Uh, but to see the MVP candidate and Russ struggle the way that he did, uh, he had four turnovers, two picks in the air, and two strip sacks. That's just a really bad look for him. That definitely really hurts his MVP case. You can't have a dud of a game like that because it's one thing to have minimal numbers or be a little bit quiet, but he wasn't quiet, though, because what he was doing to harm the team with the turnovers was very noticeable. And that's something that you just can't have turning over the ball at the rate that they did because although the offense was still able to score a ton of points uh, on that defense, you have to be able to take care of the ball more than anything. That's what it comes down to. And his inability to do that hurts his case as far as what he's done collectively this season. And it was a huge reason why they were not able to win a big road game against Buffalo. Uh, one game that I'll highlight was the game out here in the desert and the two times these quarterbacks have faced off in their career, Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa. I was in the same County as them when they played one time I was at the game, the other time uh, here in Maricopa County, uh, really, really uh, entertaining game. Uh, it was never more than a uh, seven point game. 
Uh, Dolphins got off to an early start with a defensive touchdown. That was uh, encouraging to see on their point of view uh, because they had the number one scoring defense in the league. And the question was, how is their defense going to be able to go up against the number one uh, offense in terms of yards in the the Cardinals? The Cardinals did a very good job uh, in this game. Uh, Kyler Murray had 283 passing yards, three touchdowns, only five incompletions. Also had a 100-yard rushing performance with a touchdown on the game as well, really proving that he's arguably the best dual-threat quarterback in the game. Certainly past Lamar, it's do you still put him in front of Josh Allen, who's having just such a good season, and, of course, Russell Wilson, the MVP favorite at the moment. But Miami Dolphins, Tua, uh, you know, the three of us, we all sided with the fact that we did not agree with the decision to just bench Fitzpatrick. But this game, I feel like, proved us wrong. Now, the, the Cardinals were banged up in the secondary this week. Uh, at one point, Devontae Bosby was their number two corner. Uh, AAF standout for the San Antonio Commanders. Uh, got to watch him play in person. Heartwarming experience. He got waved as well. He got waved, too, right after. Oh, this week? Mm-hmm. He did, oh, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> I know, uh, I know. It's yeah. unfortunate. Byron Byron Murphy did not play, and then Kevin Peterson uh, got pulled midway through the game because he was hurt. So you saw you saw that happen. Uh, so the secondary is certainly a concern. We'll see how Tua performs this week against the Bills, who, like we've mentioned, have a better defense. Not not a great defense as opposed to it has been in the past couple of years, but still a good defense nonetheless. So, like I said, we'll see how these two teams perform this week. Uh, very tough matchups. Dolphins, uh, I mean, I, I've i been high on them all year. I got a lot of slack when I said they were going to be better than the Patriots on our preseason show, and I looked very right. They're legit. Hey, I got, we, I got to give you credit for that. That was a good pick. That was a really good pick. But the one game that I want to stand out, I think, is the Vikings. The Vikings' defense Picked off Stafford three times, and Dalvin Cook just continues to make his argument that he's the best running back in the league. He's he has a great case. He's been one of the best running backs in the league dating back to last year. But the Vikings are starting to get going. The offense is starting to click. Yet you're seeing it being fueled by Dalvin Cook. It's kind of reminding me of the Titans from last year in the playoffs. Is that it's all Dalvin Cook? So, but I was very impressed with him as he had another terrific game. But I think the one performance that also stands out to me is I'm going to agree with you, Parker. Russell Wilson had four turnovers. He did not have a good game. There were multiple times for the, the Seahawks to get back in that game. And it was a lot of them were squandered due to his turnovers. Two picks, two fumbles, not a good game from him. And you're seeing MVP slowly slip out of his hands. So I also I want to have a quick note on Kyler. You guys realize he is – as of right now, on pace to become the first quarterback ever to throw for 4,000 yards and run for 1,000. So he could set history, and he's really taken that step up this year and making himself very comparable to being one of the best, if not the best, dual-threat quarterback in the league. So he's really tearing it up this year. MVP, baby. Let's go. Imagine drafting that guy uh, if you're a baseball organization, am I right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Crazy stuff. That's tough. That <laughs> I have a tough. note on the MVP. Well, what? I have a note on the MVP. Yeah, what? Mahomes. Mahomes. 
It's Mahomes. Oh, he, well, yeah. He, he's, he's right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's, one pick. I think there's five really strong candidates this year. Uh, I him. Do you mind naming them? Him, Kyler, Mahomes, Wilson, uh, and Rodgers. Okay, who's him in that sense? You said him. Mahomes. You said Mahomes twice. Mahomes, Kyler, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers. There it is. Okay, sorry. Uh, I I agree with those picks. I do. And and I mean, we're going to see the last seven weeks. Who's going to take that step forward? Uh, I think Tom Brady's really fallen out uh, of that race with his recent performances. But like I said, coming coming off their bye, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Buccaneers perform. Uh, and then one more point on uh, the Lions-Vikings game was that Matthew Stafford did not practice all week. Uh, yeah. He he got the unfortunate uh, point of us getting COVID. Parker and I both picked the Lions. We made an agreement uh, within our group chat that if he did not play, uh, we would pick the Vikings, but he ended up playing. It, it is the difference in our in our pickup standings right now at this point, but uh, that that's fine. You know, that's part of – doing your show on Monday. Yeah. Um, he ended up playing. So uh, I took the L there. Uh, there's multiple times this season that I've taken L's on COVID games. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think the MVP race is just heating up. There's those five candidates. I agree with you on all those, Dom. But real quick, we're not going to go deep into it. I just want to mention it, that the NFL came out with a plan to have eight playoff teams in case games were having to be scrapped due to COVID-19. Just in a quick sense, do you guys like it or dislike it? Uh, I think it's smart. Like that way, you don't have to worry about it because it's only going to happen if a playoff contending team uh, has to cancel a game coming down the stretch of the season. Let's make that very clear. So, I, I think it makes sense. Uh, it's obviously an unfortunate thing that they have to do, but uh, it seems necessary. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, of course. It's not the way it's. Uh typically constructed as far as a playoff picture goes. Uh, but this is a year where you have to be able to improvise and adjust on the fly. And if that's what they feel is necessary to allow these games to be played and to crown a eventual Super Bowl champion, then that's just something that they're going to have to explore doing. So the fact that they're doing that now is definitely good. Uh, it's better to have that prepped out uh, and have plan B, C, all the way, all the way to C. Um, so, you know, have any sort of backup plan that you need just in uh, yeah, I think it's a great plan, great backup plan, and I think you guys hit it right on the head. But real quick, Dom, you're not going to be in this segment because the Rams had their bye. But, Parker, go ahead and start us off. Team performance, go ahead. <laughs> uh, not too many positives. This was, I mean, this was a situation where going into the Pickums, I knew that I was going to either be watching one team, and that was the fourth quarter team versus the Chargers, or I was going to get the team for the first three quarters. And the first three quarters – uh, sure enough, we're the exact same thing against the Atlanta Falcons, and they struggled. Drew Locke was not able to gain and going. The offense was very stagnant, and this was a team that was not getting the ball down the field, and it was a bummer. I mean, I, I more than anything, I, I definitely regret making that pick based on the fact that there were so many different situations because I knew Shelby Harris would potentially not be able to play because of COVID. Of course, he actually tested positive, I believe, today, so he's going to miss this week as well. There was a lot of weird situations going on with his testing over the week going into that game, uh, so that hurts. 
then you go into the secondary. Bryce Callahan did not play. A.J. Boye was also out after sustaining an injury from Kareem Jackson, his own teammate. Uh, just like play the boom, unfortunately, that boom ended up backfiring as he hit him on a play the week previously. So the secondary was so depleted that even though Calvin Ridley wasn't going to play for the Falcons, uh, it was just a very bad matchup for that secondary of Denver. And sure enough, uh, they were not able to get the job done. Uh, they scored some garbage time points, uh, which was you know something to see. It showed that there was life. They had a chance to go for an onside and see where it got them. Uh, but that's not how you're going to win games. You can't rely on that. This is a team that had a lot of injuries at the end of the day, but not a good performance either way, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, for the Chiefs, barely squeaked out a win. Uh, I was very disappointed in the defensive outlook. I think that they did not look too good. Targo Charlton is potentially done for the year after suffering a fracture in his ankle, which isn't good because he's actually gotten some valuable snaps this year as one of the guys on the defensive end for depth. But I think another thing that I have to look at is the linebacker play. I'm still very critical of Ben Neiman. I don't like seeing him out on the, on the field. I don't think he's good. I think he's had a lot of struggles throughout this year. But honestly, the defense, they have to be able to stop the run. It's continuing to be an issue. You saw Christian McCaffrey have multiple nine, ten, eight-yard rushes, and that's just not what you're supposed to have. So they got to improve in that aspect. But overall, I'm happy they got the win. Eight and one going into the bye, that's awesome. I think this is the perfect time for the bye for the Chiefs. They need it, and I think it's going to be good as they are now going to start hitting going to Tampa Bay and New Orleans. So I think that's going to be really good, very good for them to have the bye this week. But I do have to note it. Patrick Mahomes set another NFL record. Quickest quarterback to 100 career passing touchdowns as he did it in 40 games, beating out Dan Marino, who did it in 44. So I just want to note that as well. But overall, great performance. Got to give a shout-out to Travis Kelsey. Ten receptions, 159 yards, was a beast. Eight of those catches were for first downs. So that was awesome to see him. And then Tyree Kill has ten touchdowns in nine games. So awesome to see. I'm just – the offense is rolling. Defense has to make those adjustments. But I'm very happy with where the Chiefs are at through nine weeks. No complaints as of right now. And they're looking like the best team in the NFL. So that's really how I'm feeling right now. Very happy. But one worry is that Nicole Hardman was put on the COVID list today. And I did not see anything, whether it's due to exposure or a positive test. I'm hoping it's exposure because he could come back sooner, one. And two, he wouldn't have been around like – all the other guys like Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Charles Kelsey, and the running back. So I'm hopeful for that. But overall, happy with the Chiefs. So let's get into it. The Pickums update. And last place. Oh, we're reversing it this week because I want to. Last place is Pat, 77-56-1. And, and he is nine games behind Parker, 86-48-1. In second place is Dom. At 88, 45, and 1. And hold on. Who's in first place, Dom? It's you. You've been on fire the past week. 44, and 1, and I am in first place. I was three games back of third place a few weeks ago, and now I'm in first. I have yes. hit my stride, ladies and gentlemen. And I am yeah. popping here. 
Yeah, Ryan and I have been different on seven games the past two weeks. He's hit six of them, gaining five games on my four-game lead. That's been the difference. So, uh, you know, you got to credit him. He's he's hit those he's hit those important games where we've been uh, on separate teams. We'll see if that continues though, because that's a really unsustainable streak. <laughs> no, here's the thing. I said it last week. Last week was a risky week for me. I was alone on the Saints and the Giants, and both of those paid off. And yeah, and the, the Giants and the, Lions. and the the football team was storming back, and then yeah. Alex, Alex Smith threw two awful interceptions. I really thought I was going to steal that one. Uh, it didn't happen. It was tough. You know, you, you were you were spot on with the Saints pick. Can't say anything else about that. Uh, then, like I said, the Stafford game, I was on separately on that one. Yeah. And I forget the other one. It was where you got where I lost a game on you was the Denver Atlanta game. Oh right, yeah, no, that was easy. And I watching the Patriots Jets game, I was frustrated because it looked like the Jets had a chance to win that game, and I'm well, like, if they would have won, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Well, you weren't the only one that was tempted to take the Jets. Both I was very both tempted. Both of us. Yeah, were. exactly. So yeah. we both took the safe pick, uh, yeah. taking the seven and a half point favorites. Uh, so. All right, let's get into this week. Okay, let's do it. Tomorrow night starts off with a very good divisional game. Indianapolis Colts travel to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Who do we have? I'll take Tennessee. Should be yeah. This classic one. AFC South uh, Thursday night football game. You know, nothing, nothing better on a Thursday night. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick up a game here. I'm going to ride with the Colts. Uh, I think their defense is going to do. Uh, very well. Once again, their defense has been the strength of the team. Phillip Rivers in the offense has played much better against weaker defenses like the Tennessee Titans. I will take the Colts in this game. Okay, since Pat's not here, I am doing his picks for him, and he sent them to us, so he's got the Titans, and I'm going to ride with the Titans in this one. I expect a bounce-back game from Derrick Henry, even though he's facing the third-best run defense in the NFL. I expect him to have a bounce-back game. Only having, I think, 68 yards on the ground last week. So I expect a lot from the Titans, whose offense really relied on Tannehill last week, and they got the win with him. So that was really good to see is that Tannehill is still played at a high level. Next up, Washington football team travels to Detroit to take on the Lions. I'm going to go Lions. I'm going to go Lions as well. I think that with a full week of practice for Matthew Stafford, him and the offense are going to look a lot better. Uh, it's really tough to pick an NFC least team playing against a non-NFC least team, and this falls under that category. Yeah. Dom, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take the Lions. Guess who's Pat's taking? Football team. Yep, he has the football team. He's, he's got to find a way to pick up games. Alex Smith looked really good, like I said, until he threw those two awful interceptions. Yeah, so we'll see. So, and he's making the start this week, so we'll see what he does. Next up, the Texans travel to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Give me the dog pound. Go Browns. Yeah, Browns coming off their bye. They're getting Chubb back. Uh, that's going to make the offense extremely more dynamic. Uh, Baker Mayfield came off the COVID list, I believe it was yesterday. So he will play unless there's something else happens. Give me the Browns. I'm going to take the Browns as well. I think getting Nick Chubb back is big for them. So I'm going to take the Browns. And then Pat agrees with us on the Browns as well. Next up, Jacksonville travels to Lambeau to take on the Packers. Go Packers. Yeah, Packers coming off the mini-buy. It's too easy. Yeah, Packers 
all the way. Great game on Thursday Night Football. So I got the Packers. Pat has the Packers as well. Next up, Philadelphia travels to MetLife to take on the Giants. Fly, Eagles, fly. Yeah, see, Park and I, we're, we're going to change spots on this game here. Last time I had the Eagles, I hit it. This time he has the Eagles. I'm going to take the Giants in this one. Been, been, I've been impressed with them as of late. Uh, they've been getting off to really hot starts, uh, then kind of throwing it away late. And the Eagles have kind of been in the opposite, you know, getting off to slow starts. Yeah. I think that trend will continue. I'm going to take the Giants at home. I don't think they blow it this week. I think they're riding uh, a little bit more confidently following their win this week. The Giants will hands down be my least favorite team in the league if they do this to me. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Okay. Pat agrees with you, Dom. He's got the Giants. I know. That's not a good sign. You're going to go Eagles. I am going the Eagles. Coming off their bye. I, and they get Miles Sanders back this week. Yeah. Miles Sanders. He's good. You know, he actually he leads all running backs in yards per carry. Yeah, he does. He's at, When he's been able to be on the field, he's been really good for them. So, next up, Tampa Bay looks to avenge that horrible loss at home as they as they travel to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Yeah, Buccaneers in this one. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bucks. I've been impressed with the Panthers. They looked really good in Kansas City this past week. Uh, they they played a good game, and so I thought the Chiefs played pretty well too. So, gotta give credit to them. But the Bucks are, I I still think one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, Pat's going to agree with you guys. I am too. So. Bucks for all four of us. The Panthers have looked really good. I was very much shocked with how they looked in Kansas City. They looked really good. But Christian McCaffrey's out as he suffered a shoulder injury at the end of the game. So that's something to watch out for going forward. Next up, Denver looks to avenge their loss as they travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders. Raiders are taking this one. I, I liked how you actually said it. Give me the R A I D E R S Raiders. I don't know how to react to that, but uh, both part, both Pat and I are going to agree with both of you. Pat's got the Raiders, and I've got the Raiders in this one. Next up, the too. Bills flying high after a big win over the Seahawks. They travel to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. I've got the Bills. This is a very difficult game, though. Yeah, speaking of flying high, I'm going to fly high with the Birds. I'm going to take Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Uh, I think they'll, they'll they'll perform well at home. Uh, I think that they're going to be very angry with their loss this past week. Uh, the defense needs to get healthy, uh, even though so. I'm going to take the Cardinals. I think they have a much better defense than the Seahawks. So it's going to be a great game, though. The this is going to be a very good game. So I think that this could be one of the best games of the week, and it's a tough game, but I'm going to go with the Bills in this one. So Parker and I have the Bills. Pat is going to agree with you again, Dom. You both. Yeah, I know. I thought he probably would on this one. So that we I'm, got, not, we're split. I'm, not, I'm not doing a good job of fading Pat this week. Uh, yeah. Has me a bit concerned. But, I mean, they're 5-3, and three, so yeah. – this is going to be a very good game. So, next up, Chargers travel to Miami. You mean the Dolphins. Oh, Fins up, baby. Let's go. Please murder them. I'm sick and tired of seeing all the chart. Like, you know, the Chargers fans are complaining too much on Twitter uh, about how they're how about how they're just getting bad luck. Just please just murder them once. 
It, it is beautiful. That loss to the Raiders oh, was so geez. beautiful. I, I, I was actually up. very happy with that. No, because I saw the ball hit the ground in real time. I knew it was going to be called incomplete. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it was gorgeous. Oh, dude, this team you finds know. new – they find new ways to lose every yeah. time. Do you guys hear about the corner, though, that made those two plays at the end – those last two plays? Mm-hmm. Story where one of his college teammates died. I did, and yeah. He had the opportunity to play those last two pivotal snaps and made those two plays for them – for the Raiders to clinch that game. Yeah, that's a cool I story. Did. I had not. Yeah. That's, that's neat. Yeah, that was awesome. When I read that, I was that was awesome to read. But I'm going to take the Dolphins as well. And Pat, who has been riding with the Dolphins, is going with the Chargers. He he's he's picked the Chargers way too much. And I I told him when he he was living with me, he went home. Uh, I'm like, dude, you got to stop picking this team. They find <laughs> ways to lose. Uh, and I'm like, and it it honestly angers me that you're in here rooting for the Chargers when you. Honestly, I have no rooting interest in this game. He keeps picking them, and uh, I'm not sure why. But, you know what? Hey. He's just trying to make up ground. Yeah, but at some point, you got to know that. Yeah, you got to know when the right time is. You got to know the team that you're picking, really. Yeah. You got to be picking for the win and not picking for the standings. Yeah. Yeah. I did that last year, and it came back to it. It did. Yeah. And you've you've grown up, Ryan. I, I will give you some credit. Because it was about <laughs> this time, it was about this time last year where you started to do that, and you you fell into a big hole, and then you realized after about two weeks that it just wasn't a good strategy. Uh, and then I came back and then got third. But hey, mark that timestamp. Dom, give me credit for something. I mean, you're not an idiot all the time, most of the time, though. You know, what? I'll take that. I'll take that. That I think exactly. that's one of the things we've ever small said. small victories in life. <laughs> I think that's one of the nicest things you've ever said to me. Moving on, we've got a tough game to pick potentially with the COVID situation surrounding it. The Bengals travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. Yeah, even with that, I, I like what the Steelers have done this year, uh, so I'm going to continue to go with them. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to not like what they've done considering the fact that they're 8-0, Parker. Uh, a little joke there. But – uh, one thing is that the Steelers, you know, I, this is a pretty common trend with Mike Tomlin-led uh, teams, is they always play to the level of their competition. You know, we've seen them beat the Titans. Mm-hmm. We've seen them beat the Ravens this year. But then they play games like they just did against the Cowboys. Uh, they only have – they only have. I think they have a average margin of victory below 10. And that, that's really odd to see for a team that's undefeated. Uh, yeah. And then the, the Bengals, like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, all they do is they play close games. And I think this this is no exception. Uh, the Bengals beat the Titans uh, the week after the Steelers beat them. Uh, I think this is going to be a great game. I, I do think the Steelers win by a couple of points, though. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I'm going to go with the Steelers in this one, but I think it's going to be a, a close game because really what you're seeing is continual close games from the Bengals and from the Steelers. And I don't think Pat gave you a pick for this game. Yeah, Pat did not give us a pick for this game. Uh, hmm. And that's weird. Or I'll text him right now. He uh, loves picking the Bengals. We'll, we'll continue know, exactly. on. Yeah, we'll continue we'll, on. We'll see. Next up, a very good game. The Seahawks travel to L.A. to take on the Rams. I'm going to take the Seahawks. It's a good game, though. I'm going to take the Rams here. 
And listen, I'm going to justify this because I want to just pick my team without any justification. The Seahawks defense is awful. Uh, bottom three defense. Very bad. Yeah, bo- bottom three defense in the NFL. And the Rams offense, when clicking, is good. They're good. They're not great. You know, they're they're a top half offense. You know, Jared yeah. Goff still has the weapons. Very good running attack. Decent offensive line and a good play caller when, when the play calling is not on crack. Uh, and then the Rams defense is borderline top five the way they've played this year. Uh, they've been extremely dominant. Uh, you look at the scoreboard uh, for their last game against the Dolphins. They absolutely clamped them. Uh, only like two first downs in the second half. Uh, only two offensive touchdowns, and one of those was a one-yard drive because fumble returned to the one-yard line. And in the Sean McVay era, the Rams are 4-2 and two against the Seattle Seahawks. Those two losses, uh, the first one yeah. came in his first game, uh, uh, third down from like the 20-yard line, uh, pass just outside of the reach of Cooper Cup, hit his fingertips. He couldn't bring it in, then on fourth down they didn't convert. And then last year, uh, I know you guys remember – uh, the missed field goal, and yeah. I was lying on the I was lying on the floor in the uh, the Taylor the Taylor Place dining hall. That's never mm-hmm. a fun, never a fun yeah. spot to be in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if the, if those two, uh, you literally look at those two plays and say if these two plays go the way of the Rams, they win that game. Uh, Sean McVay is Pete Carroll's dad, and I think they're going to win this one. I yeah, the TP floor is not a place you want to find yourself. Yeah, I don't know. Especially That's when you know something just went down. Yeah, that video will be on Twitter at some point this week. Oh, yeah, has to be. It has to be. There's no doubt. But, no, I'm going to the Rams as well. All right. Okay. For the Seahawks, historically bad. Even with Jamal Adams, he is rated as one of the worst safeties in coverage this year. I think he's 79 out of 83. He's been that- horrible. Yeah. And considering considering everything they ask out of him, and then considering what he's been through this year with injuries yeah. and then limited training camp, that's honestly not too surprising. And you guys know where I stand on Jamal Williams. I think he's the best safety in the NFL. But did I say Jamal Williams? Yeah. Ah, sorry about that. <laughs> Shout out to the Jamal Williams. Though. Show him some love. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. BYU. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jamal Adams, one of the best safeties in the league. He's not playing up to that to, to that level yeah. now. It, the Seahawks gave up two first-round draft picks for him. So they should be very concerned right now about that. And, you know, I, I can see the Rams pulling this off. And with the NFC West, it's a divisional game. It's going to be close no matter what. The Rams actually opened his favorites. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to know that I'm not alone on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Rams in this one. I'm, I think they're, especially coming off their bye, they've had a week of preparation for him. So I think that helps as well. But Pat is going to go with Parker on this one and have the Seahawks. Have fun, Parker. I went with Pat a couple times last week, and both of them hit. Hey, maybe he'll have a big week. Yeah, the, I mean the Vikings. But like yeah, like I said, that's a totally different game of Stafford's yeah. at least practicing. Yeah. Next up, the Niners travel in New Orleans. I'm take the Saints. They look really good. That was a huge win to bounce off of, so – I like what they're doing right now. Plus, yeah. Michael Thomas being back in general is just huge. And the 49ers are another team kind of like the uh, the Buccaneers who haven't had their bye week, and now they're playing a very physical football team the Saints. This, this is just a bad matchup for the 49ers right now. They might be getting Debo back, which certainly opens up the offense, but no Kittle, no Garoppolo. Uh, might also be- yeah, so 
it's it's tough to pick against the Saints right now. I'll take the Saints. I'm going to take the Saints as well. They're rolling. They're looking really good. They're the team to beat in that division. And this guy. <laughs> oh, so I picked him last week, and I took the lead. No, 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 no. Continue. Who, who'd Pat pick? Oh, yeah. Uh, I knew that's what you were referencing. Uh, <laughs> this guy. And then there's Pat. <laughs> How do you take the 49ers he in the game? He takes the 49ers. He's just putting himself in a bigger hole. <laughs> the real question at this point is who's going to win to decide he has to wear outside. That's the real thing at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's really it. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, we should make him wear his Nikhil Harry jersey, and then under Harry it just says sucks. <laughs> no, just kidding. That that would be super bad. Like that. No. That's not. That's not fun. There, there's some. Yeah, I mean it's a good idea, but there, there's a lot better things. You at Arizona State? What? No, he should. Uh, he should it, buy I mean, like, get a Nick Falk jersey from that freezing Buff- cold take. He or Bu- Buffalo Bills 2020 NFC AFC East champs. Yeah, Cause he, yeah, you know either. You, yeah, because I mean, Falk did just win them with that 51 yarder, which was a nice kick. But you know, I'll never forget that video, which I still have of him saying he never yeah. misses. <laughs> and Shane's great video. Side. Oh, that was awesome. Next up, right. the Ravens travel to New England. Ravens. Yeah, I'm gonna take the Ravens. Ravens for me as well. And of course, here comes Pat's bias. In the text, it says Pat's baby. <laughs> okay, at least I think with that, like you can tell, like he doesn't actually think they're gonna win, but he's just gonna do it anyway. When, so. when was the last time he? I don't think he's picked against the Pats all year. No, he hasn't. Uh, wow, that's just no. And I, because I told him when, because we, uh, with the Cam Newton thing going against the matchup with the Chiefs, mm-hmm. he hadn't picked or he made the pick before Cam Newton got COVID. And I told mm-hmm. him, hey man, you can change your pick. I'm like, I'm letting you off the hook here. And he didn't. So it's not right decision. He hit me from last year, right? Yeah. And he's in last. And, yeah. and the di- and the difference is, well, I, was like, never, my defense, I was never down this many games. No, yeah. oh, absolutely not. Yeah, and like the Chiefs are a much safer bet too. Yeah. Like they're a safer bet to pick. So like yeah. it makes more sense. Like it's harder to fault you for picking them compared to like this year's Patriots. Yeah, yeah. Then our last game. Vikings travel to Chicago Monday night divisional battle. Who do we have? Ah, uh, this game's not fun to pick. I, I I just feel like I have I've been very bad with both of these two teams. Uh, I I really don't know honestly. I I think when I was filling out my pickums earlier today, I circled in the Bears, and as much as it would pain me not to switch when my gut's sort of leaning towards the Vikings. I would hate to switch it then to be wrong because of the Bears being my downfall yet again. So I'm going to ride with the Bears. We'll see what happens, but there it is. Uh, so two things. Just received a text from Patrick Fortuna that he will be picking the Cincinnati Bengals against okay. the Pittsburgh Steelers. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> well, so on my other show that I recorded today, one of my one of my other co-hosts also picked the Bengals. I, I don't think it's a terrible pick considering terrible that pick. Yeah. the Bengals Honestly, are coming really up right what? Especially if Big Ben's out with the whole COVID tracing. Yeah. Yeah. Their COVID, uh, the way the two teams have played most of their games and the fact that the Bengals are coming off the bye, I don't think it's a bad pick. Uh, with that being said, I I can't pick a two-win team over an undefeated team in week 10. Uh, yeah. That's just yeah. me. Uh, back to Vikings-Bears. Uh, 
I will be taking the Vikings in this game. Uh, Vikings are trending this way. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bears. <laughs> Bears are trending that way. And I think those two trends continue. The Vikings have kind of found their identity. Uh, you know, really wow. melt the clock with Dalvin Cook, uh, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, and then, you know, then your defense, who has been playing better as of late, we will say that, uh, is on the field for less time. And it's worked for them the past two weeks. Uh, two very good wins over two teams that I think are pretty solid. Now, obviously, the Packers are better than the Lions. I'm not going to deny that. And then the Bears' offense isn't very good. So the Vikings' defense, uh, if they have another good week and the Vikings pull off a win, all of a sudden they're 4-5. and five. They're not out of the playoff race. Now, considering where the NFC is uh, in terms of playoff teams, uh, it will be a tough climb, but – they're not done if they pick up this win, especially considering that they'd have a game over the Bears already. I will take the Vikings. Pat is taking the Vikings as well, which makes it even tougher for me to pick this game. I've picked the Vikings last week, and it paid off. And I'm not a big fan of the Bears. I think Matt Nagy is not a very good head coach. He's bad. He's very bad. I don't think Nick Foles is that good. I don't trust that offense. But I do like the Bears' defense. So this is a tough one. I'm not going to take the Vikings. I hate this game. So, Parker, you're alone on this one. Yeah, it's not a fun feeling with games like yep. this, but we'll see what happens. Parker's, Parker's got a couple of chances to gain some ground this week. He's only two games out of first place. He's yeah. made a bit of a climb the past two weeks, so yeah, uh, it's been a little bit better. We'll Parker's see. put himself in a good spot. He yeah. also has gotten some help from me. Yeah, so <laughs> I got to keep, I got to keep the train moving. I'm, I'm full of confidence that I'm going to maintain in first place this week. Yeah, we what we're different on, team. we're different on Colts. Yeah, uh, and then Eagles, Giants. Yep. Bills, Cardinals. Yep. Uh, and then this game. So, wait. I picked the Vikings. Yeah, never mind. So, I mean, there's three games. So, uh, potential that we're tied. Yeah. This, yeah. Yes, if you can get two of those. Then we're tied. Yeah. You have a chance. If you can win all three. Then I'm in the lead. Back, yeah. back, mm-hmm. back, back where I've been, like, the majority of the season. So, I see Tennessee to win. Once Tennessee wins tomorrow night, I'm feeling it. So we'll be That'll good. be a good game. Those, yeah. And sometimes, go. sometimes those games are total flops. But um, you know, Thursday night football. Watch Masters tomorrow. Masters. Uh-huh. Who's uh-huh. your pick? Hey. Here's, a, here's a good thing. This is the perfect week for the Chiefs to have the bye because oh. I can relax and watch the Masters <sighs> on Sunday. All I know is how about that John Rom shot for that whole that one? Yeah, it was insane, but it wasn't insane to the point where like my it was my entire my entire Twitter timeline for the entire day. It was <laughs> like on that. it today too. Like, come on, yeah. people! <laughs> this happened a day ago. Stop. Yeah, he is going to be one of the favorites going in, so they'll be definitely Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley. I could see Xander that. Yeah, Shoffley. Yeah. San Diego State made. Parker, who's your pick? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Shambo. That driver that he busted out, I, he he was able to get 
uh, larger than typical regulation driver. How many inches was it? I, I don't remember how many, but supposedly it was a larger one. And he's been carrying the ball and saying that he crushed one like 368 in practice for the day. And it seems like he's trending in the right direction right now. Uh, so let's take that man right there. See how he does. I'm going Tiger Woods. Oh. <laughs> well, <kidding>. that's bold. <laughs> going I feel, back to back. I think so. Early in the year, I picked, I picked Dustin Johnson. Okay, this time he's going to get it. I'm going to go with Dustin Johnson to win the Masters this year. All right, I can do that. That's a solid pick. Yeah. Better than Tiger. That's that's yeah. That was a complete joke. Complete joke. Yeah. Hey, well, hey. Nice, nice on him winning last year, but I yeah. don't see it happening again. But it was awesome. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that'll conclude this episode of the 4-3 show. Hopefully next week we'll have the entire crew here. But enjoy the Masters and NFL football this week. We'll be back next week.